you guys. Um, if y'all haven't met Carla, you need to meet Carla. She does a wonderful job. She's joined up with the, with the praise team, and so we're excited to have her and her family, her two kids here. Um, and her husband, Nick. I think Nick's uh, working at the firehouse this morning, uh, but he's a fireman over in Gwinnett, and so we're excited to have their family as part of Hebron here the last several months. Um, we are, oh, one other thing I was told I needed to make the announcement about. Um, our finance chair said, Gordon, there's a budget for 2017 in the back of the lobby you need to tell people about. So you can check that out. It'll be out this week, next week, and then we'll um, do our, our vote for the next year's budget uh, in a couple of weeks. So um, do check that out. And one thing I want to let you know about for our 2017 budget that is new is that we have put in there for a full-time youth pastor, and we'll be talking more about that with you, the details of that, after the first of the year. But just so you know, if you see that in there, that that's the one kind of item that is unique um, from previous years. So have that in mind. Um, we are jumping into our Christmas series, and we had so much fun singing the Christmas carols last year that we thought we'd bring that back for another round because uh, I've been preaching here for 10 years now, and as Jason, I always mourn to him every year. Here comes baby Jesus. i got to reinvent baby Jesus. So the Christmas carols have been a great way to, to do that. And so our Christmas carol that we're going to look at today, I don't know if you have it, the slides available for the word for Oh Holy Night. Do we? We don't have that. But so we're just going to, y'all know the song, right? So I need to hear you sing your best. Jason, can you give us our, our note on that? Follow him. That's really high. How about, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining, and here's the night of our dear Savior's birth. We're going to do one more. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the throne. There it is. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices when yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. All right, that's good enough. Y'all did really good. I appreciate that. You heard enough of me for the morning. So, uh, so that's our song for today. And I wanted to lift one line out of that song, and that is the line, A Thrill of Hope. And so I want to talk about hope today. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet. We're going to read two verses of Scripture. Brian's going to have to be quick with a clicker. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse, did I get that right? Yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, and then we're going to read Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. So here we go, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's read this together. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. And then Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, you may be seated. So you can see there's a common word in both of those verses, uh, the word hope. And so that's what I want to talk about today. But first, before we get into some of these verses, I want to share with you what does hope mean? Let's define the word hope. Hope is the feeling that one day things are going to be better. Hope is this idea that, you know, everything may not be the way that I want it to be right now today. But things will be different one day soon. 
So I'm not going to focus on how things are right now. That's what hope says. Rather than focusing on the distress, rather than focusing on the struggle, hope says instead I'm going to focus on the expectation that one day things are going to be better. Now, psychiatrists will tell us that when a sports fan begins to feel a loss of hope, when a sports fan begins to feel a little less confident about their team, that they tend to give up on their team. I'm not talking anything about what happened this weekend. When citizens lose their hope in their country, in their nation, revolution takes place. When workers lose hope, morale and productivity drop off. When patients lose hope, there's nothing else that medicine, doctors will tell you, there's nothing else that medicine can do. And so hope is a really important ingredient for keeping us moving forward, for keeping us making those forward steps. And so I want to take a look at a couple of these passages of Scripture that remind us that Jesus is our hope. And what does that mean, that Jesus is our hope? Well, it means three things. First of all, number one, <clears throat> first reason that Jesus is our hope is that Jesus is our hope for the world. He's our hope for the world. I mean, the reason that the Bible calls the second coming of Christ, we just read it there a few moments ago in Titus, the blessed hope is because of what Jesus is going to do when Jesus comes back. Um, Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 read, let's look at this again. It said, while we wait for this blessed hope, namely the glorious appearing, referring there to the second coming of Christ, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible calls this, the second coming of Christ, the blessed hope. Um, and where, you, where, do you, where is that hope found for the world? It's found in the return of Christ. Um, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 tells us what the second coming of Christ is going to be like when he returns. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling will lie down together, and even a young child will be able to lead them. Verse 8, the infant will play near the hole of the cobra. Not Gordon, but the infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. Um, Y'all want to know what it will be like when Jesus returns? Verse 9, it says, People will neither harm nor destroy one another on all my holy mountain, referring there to Israel, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The old order of things, friends, will be gone when the return of Christ takes place. That's what it'll be like when Jesus returns to the earth. So how are we going to solve all the tribal hatred in Africa with the return of Christ? How are we going to resolve all the problems of racial, racial division in the world with the return of Christ? How are we going to solve the land wars that just continue to go on and on and on out in the Middle East? We're going to solve that with the return of Christ. How are we going to solve the crime problems in our inner cities? How are we going to solve drug problems and deadbeat dad problems and poverty problems and the ecological problems that we face in our world? All of that, friends, is going to be resolved with the return of Christ. That's how those things are going to be solved, and they're going to be solved once and for all. The Bible doesn't just say that Jesus can solve these problems, but the Bible says way much better than that. The Bible says that Jesus will solve all of these problems. That's when he comes back. He'll solve these problems of the world, and so that's why the Bible re refers to the return of Christ as the blessed hope. Now, not only is Jesus our hope for the world as the, through the return of Christ, but also Jesus gives us hope for those of us who are presently living in the world, who are presently struggling in the world, who face despair and who face distress. And that's, so that's number two. Jeremiah writes about what it's like for him 
to live in this world. He writes Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall of it. Verse 20, I well remember them. When and when I do, my soul is downcast within me. So what is Paul or what is uh, Jeremiah referring to here? He's referring to the destruction of Jerusalem that took place in 586 BC when the Babylonian army came down, descended on uh, Jerusalem, laid siege to the city. The city eventually fell and then they knocked down the city walls. They decimated the territory. Uh, they, they, the people were taken into slavery or they were killed. How the town was reduced to a pile of rubble and Jeremiah was sitting on top of all of that rubble saying, oh, I feel so downcast, right? Jeremiah's sitting on the top of this. He's got smoldering stuff all around him, bodies laying in the streets. Now watch what he says, though. Verse 21, he says, and yet this I call to mind. So as he's sitting there on this pile of rubble, everything's just falling apart in front of his eyes. And he says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have, what's the next word? hope. He says, I have hope. You say, Gordon, how in the world can somebody have hope when they're sitting on a pile of rubble and their whole world is just falling apart? Well, keep reading. He says, verse 22, because of the Lord's great love for the people of Israel, for his people, for his children, because of the Lord's great love, we were not completely decimated, not completely destroyed. He says, verse 23, they are, the Lord's compassions are new every morning Great is thy faithfulness. How does Jeremiah's heart well up with hope while he's sitting on this pile of rubble and everything in his life is just falling apart? It's because he remembers the faithfulness of God. He remembers that God is a God who has made him promises. He remembers that God is a God who will be faithful to fulfill those promises that he has made. He remembers that God is dependable. He remembers that God is somebody he can count on. He remembers that God is somebody who's going to be there for him when he needs the Lord, and as followers of Christ, friends, this is where you and I can find hope. When we're sitting on a pile of rubble and everything in our life seems to have fallen apart and people look at us and say, how can you have hope? It says, because I remember the faithfulness of God. I remember who God is. I remember that God is involved in my life. I remember that God wants to encourage me in my life. And so he's there with us as we go through our struggles and our heartaches. And it's also because we remember Titus chapter one and verse two, that God does not lie. So when God makes us a promise to bless us and to, to prosper us and to plant us rather than to pluck us up, friends, and that he's going to work through all things for the good of those who love him, Romans chapter 8, when God tells us those things, he's not lying to us. God must, must, because of his nature, because he doesn't lie, he must follow through on the things which God has said he would do. I love how Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews puts this. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 says, It is impossible, think about this, it is impossible for God to lie. So that we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may therefore be encouraged. Verse 19, and we have this hope that God won't lie to us, that he's made us promises, he's going to fulfill his promises to us as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Friends, you want to hitch your boat or tie your boat off to something that's not going to be here and there and everywhere and allow your boat to crash off into the rocks. Friends, you tie your boat to the promises of God. God is faithful, and the things that God said he would do, he will do because God does not lie. It's his nature. 
He has to do the things that he said he would do for you and I. You know, I went home over Thanksgiving this past week, and there was a guy there, and he was kind of the long-lost cousin of the family sort of, sort of situation. And he wasn't actually my cousin. He was related to my cousins on the other side of the family. But I knew him pretty well and kind of knew what had been going on in his life for many years. And uh, he had walked away from the Lord. He had walked away from the church um, and, and really gotten into some really rough stuff. And his mom and my mom, I saw them at one point sitting on a couch together, and they were having a conversation. So afterwards, after we left the house and we were on our way home, I'm finding out a little bit more about what's going on in his life. And my mom said that, you know, his, this other guy's mom, she was in such despair. She was in such distress. His mom said to my mom, I feel like I've let my child down. I feel like I've failed as a parent. I mean, this is a good Christian lady who had raised her children in the church. They knew the Lord from an early age. And uh, I'm thinking to myself afterwards, I wish I could have caught up with her. I'm going to send her a note in the mail. But I wish I could have caught up with her right there on the spot and reminded her that God has made some promises to her about her child. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, God said, Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, wasn't it if? It was a when they are old, they will not depart from it. God's made you a promise. I wanted to grab her and say, God's made you a promise. And you can know that God's going to fulfill the promise that he's made to you with regard to your child because of the way that you've raised him, because you've raised him in a Christian home and you brought him up in the church. And because of that, God's going to be faithful to do what he said he would do because of Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, God cannot lie. Because of Hebrews chapter 6, it is impossible for God to lie. So in your anxious moments, in your distress, in your despair over what's going on in your son's life, take heart, take courage, feel hope, because God said he would do the very thing that he said he would do. You train up your child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Amen? All right, number three. I was excited about that one. Number three. It's a comfort as a parent. Number three, and finally, is Jesus, is in Jesus Christ, God gives us hope for the afterlife. Hope for the afterlife. You know, Jesus himself said, John chapter 14 and verse 19, because I live, who, those who believe in me will live also. Jesus here is not referring to his earthly living, his earthly life, but he's talking about the resurrected life. Saying, because I will live on beyond the grave, I'm making you this promise. You will live also. What Jesus is saying is that if you're a follower of Christ, if you in, he will infuse into you that same forever, never-ending, beyond-the-grave resurrection life that he's got. And this is why he said in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said, and he who believes in me, here comes the promise, that's the condition to receiving the promise, here comes the promise, and he who believes in me will live in the afterlife in heaven, even though that person died here on the earth. And this is where our hope beyond the grave comes from, friends. The fact that Jesus lives means that you're going to live just like him. Now, I know that I've used this quote here before, it comes from Dwight L. Moody, but I don't care. I'm going to share it with you anyway. I think it's one of the best quotes that captures succinctly this idea of the hope that Jesus gives us for the afterlife. Here's what Dwight L. Moody said. 
He said, one day you will read in the papers that Dwight L. Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I think that's the way he said it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. So the day he leaves this earth, the day he takes his last breath, he says, I'm going to be more alive then, in that moment, than I have ever been out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, I will move into a body that death cannot touch, into a body that sin cannot taint. I was born of God's, I was born in the flesh in 1837, he said, but I was born of God's spirit in 1855. And that which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of God's spirit will never die. Friends, you're looking for hope beyond this world. You're looking for hope in the afterlife. I mean, Jesus is where it's at. All right, let's summarize. Because we have a returning Savior, we have hope for the world. Because we have a faithful Savior, we have hope today in our present situation, in our present sufferings and distress. And because we have a living Savior, we have hope for life in the afterlife. Now, friends, if that doesn't give you a thrill of hope, I don't know really what will do it. We've got all the hope in the universe, friends, wrapped up in the arms of little Mary there in the manger. You say, okay, Gordon, well, i got one more question for you. Okay, fire away. I mean, do you not ever get down in the dumps? Do you not ever get in despair? Do you not ever distress? Of course I do. Of course I do. I mean, wouldn't be a human being if I didn't get distressed. I get distressed all the time. Get in despair all the time. Claire's constantly having to say, you need to pick yourself up. You need to carry on. You need to rethink it, right? That's, that's, so anyway, you can see where, where the relationship is there. So, um, but I get in despair all the time. But I also remember the words of the psalmist David, and this helps give me hope. David said, Psalm chapter 42 and verse 5, he said, Why are you downcast? He's talking to himself, giving himself a little bit of self-counsel, if you would. He says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? And so David says to himself, Put your hope in God. I love how the, the King James says this. It says, Hope thou in God. Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In other, words, in other words, what David is saying is, yeah, I've had some dark times. I mean, he's hiding in caves, in and out of caves, running around with Saul chasing him down, and Saul's army's chasing him down, and he's constantly feeling distress and feeling despair from one cave incident to the next, having to lurk around in the darkness. He says, but in those times, in those times of darkest despair, in those darkest hours, he said, I found hope by remembering who God is, and that that is that God is going to flip my distress around, and he's going to make it for my good. God's going to use the things that I'm going through, which the enemy meant to destroy and disrupt, and God's going to use those as a blessing in my life. So David says to himself, don't despair. What's wrong with you? Know who your God is. Hope thou in God. You need hope in your life? Look no further than the blessed hope, which is our Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, 
Gordon, I appreciate all this this morning. But what if I'm not a Christian? What if I've never made that decision to accept Jesus as my Savior? What difference does any of this make to me? Well, this is what Christmas reminds us of. It reminds us that hope has come into the world. That Jesus, one day, when he came in as a baby, one day as a man, at 33 years of age, would go to a cross, would be nailed on that cross, and that the sacrifice of his life will be made for your sins. And that by turning to Jesus, as he said in John chapter 3 and verse 16, it's that conditional promise. He said, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. The promise is that you'll have everlasting life, but you have to meet a condition to receive the promise. And that is that you have to believe in Jesus Christ. Friends, believing in Jesus Christ is more than just head knowledge. It's more than believing that he was just a historical figure that walked around the earth, that he went up on a cross. It means that he was God in the flesh. He was a perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice, and that he went to the cross for your sins and for my sins, for the sins of the world, and that when we put our faith in what he did on the cross for our sins, plus nothing else, We're not looking to our good works of recycling. We're not looking to our good works of helping at the food bank. We're not looking to our good works of helping with homeless people or feeding people at Thanksgiving. Our good works, friends, will not get us into heaven. It's that we look to the work that Christ did on the cross and that alone plus nothing else. Friends, when we do that, that's what believing in Jesus is. It's putting all of your faith, all of your trust for eternity in that bucket of what Jesus did on the cross. Then you will receive the promise of everlasting life. That's the difference that this makes to your life. And then the hope, the thrill of hope that we sang about just a little while ago can be your hope as well. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you again for this time of year. It reminds us of the great miracle of Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to the earth with a mission in mind. Lord, we're thankful that hope can spring up again in our hearts this time of year, not just because of all the lights and the sounds and seeing familiar faces, but because we're reminded of Jesus, the Savior, Emmanuel, has come. Lord, as we gather around this table, we're reminded of what you did some years later, of the sacrifice of your life on Calvary's tree. As we spend some time in quiet this morning, and despair may be looking us dead in the eye, and distress and anxiety about whatever the issue, maybe may we be reminded again this morning of who you are. You're a God who has made us promises, and you cannot lie. May we usher those, may that, may that reality, Lord, usher those, that distress and that despair out of our hearts, and hope take its place. And Lord, if there are those here this morning that need to put their faith and their trust in you plus nothing else, may they do that in these quiet moments by turning their their eyes towards you, asking you for the forgiveness of their sins. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.